Good evening and welcome to the NFL Draft. Tonight, we officially welcome the next generation of players. So if you're ready, are you ready? Let's get it started. The NFL Draft is officially open. Welcome inside the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. I am Trevor Sikuma. With me is Benjamin Solak on another episode of our Divisional Draft recap series where over the next two weeks we're going down every single division in the NFL examining each team's draft class in depth using certain superlatives which include best pick best position group or most improved position group over the offseason it was supposed to just be over the draft but Ben wanted to open it up it was supposed to be I'm the one who made as well so I'm not sure how you know how it was supposed to be I told you to make the categories Okay, if you tell someone to make the categories, you're saying make the categories. So then I say, all right, I'm going to make the categories. Then I made the categories with my stipulations because I'm the one making the categories. Yeah, but you didn't clarify the stipulations. You just said the superlative. And I assumed because once again, I must repeat myself that this is a draft show that I thought this was going to be all about the draft. We did best pick and then most improved position group. It would be where the best pick was, unless they picked twice at a position group, in which case it would be that position group. It would not be interesting. Maybe use some critical thinking, Trev. All I wanted to accomplish there was to, you know, make you yell at the point where you could tell that the gain was a little too high on your microphone, and here we are. We've achieved that. Okay, so obviously what we see that we're doing right now is we're going through every team. We're doing some superlatives. uh, And that's how we are recapping a lot of these draft classes. We're having a lot of fun doing it. Did a couple. We did the AFC North on Monday. We did the NFC South on Tuesday. And today, we're going back to the AFC. We're doing the AFC East. So the Miami Dolphins, the New York Jets, the Buffalo Bills, and the New England Patriots. Ben, before we get going, how are you, my friend? Everything is delicious, including my categories. <laughs> you know what else Rude. is delicious? The Miami Dolphins offseason. Really what the Miami Dolphins, I feel like, have been doing over the last couple of years. I feel like Chris Greer, the the general manager there, has really had his foot on the gas. He's been aggressive in a lot of ways, whether that comes to free agency or the NFL draft. I feel like that he's done a great job transforming that entire organization into what is one of the favorites now for... AFC playoff spots. Obviously, the Buffalo Bills have a little bit of a head start on them when it comes to the division, but I think that Miami is right there. I think that they can compete with a lot of teams in the AFC, and who knows? You know, you you, you time things the right way, you get some luck on your side, and we could see the Miami Dolphins competing for an AFC championship sometime soon. They got to figure out quarterback, but maybe they have the guy there, maybe they don't. When you look at best selection over the 2021 draft, Ben, where do your eyes go first? Firstly, I want to just give out huge respect to the Miami Dolphins, who the Dolphins draft class features first-round pick Jalen Waddle. Yep. First-round pick Jalen Phillips. Yep. Second-round pick Liam Eikenberg. Yep. Second-round pick Javon Holland. Third-round pick Hunter Long. Seventh-round picks Larnell Coleman and Jared Dokes. I just love it. I think it's great. You remember You remember that whole whole middle of the draft? Forget, forget about it. Don't want it? Don't need it. Forget about I'm, it. I'm drafting starters. 
and then like some late early UDFA's pretty much. This is honestly just, this is honestly what I wanted the Buccaneers to do and they didn't do it just because they were uh, a little bit more traditional in their approach, but I I am with you. I big respect the Dolphins here. Absolutely. So, firstly, kudos to you. It's the best it's a great way to have a really good looking draft is to only make picks in the early rounds. And then it's just like, "Oh wow, they never had to reach for talent." Yeah, because they were never picking in a bad spot. Uh right. the best pick for me I'll give is is Liam Eikenberg, who uh, we really liked the film out of Notre Dame. The arm length made him a tackle guard concern question mark player, which is not a dissimilar arc that Robert Hunt had last year out of Louisiana Lafayette. They make Hunt a second round pick. They plan to have him at guard. He plays at right tackle. He starts playing well for you. And as everybody who listens to the podcast has heard me say 10,000 times, uh, it's great to have players who have that tackle guard versatility because you can just put your best five out there, right? right. Whatever uh, you get out of camp, whatever your best five alignment is, bang, we do it. And then we have an injury, and it's a lot easier to shuffle to get our sixth best guy out there without having to, you know, uh, put in like, oh, we had a tackle injury, so we have to put in our backup tackle. We're going to leave this guy guard. No, we can kick him out to guard to tackle, and that'll work. Like, I love that hodgepodge interchangeability of tackle guard guys. And so they draft Liam Meikenberg. In the second round, who to me is a starting caliber tackle. So he gives you insurance behind Austin Jackson, who was your left tackle last year, first round pick, who didn't look great. Uh, and he gives you the same thing that Robert Hunt gave you in terms of tackle guard versatility. And so you get to camp and you start playing Eichenberg at tackle and Hunt at tackle. And you think to yourself, you know what? We really just like the way that Liam looks out there. We thought he had better film coming out. We always want Hunt to be a guard. We're moving Hunt to right guard, moving Solomon Kinley to left guard, moving Eichenberg to right tackle. Bang, there it is. You know what I mean? Like that plan works or Liam Eikenberg's being sixth offensive lineman off works and there's going to be injuries there always is and he's going to be able to fill in for that and so there was that that moment there right before day one where Eric Flowers gets traded and we think okay is Penny Sewell in the play how serious is this uh, adding another player who at least could play tackle was necessary and while I think that they were right not to go for Sewell and they were right to, to be focusing on on wide receiver and edge early Eikenberg is really really exactly who you wanted to be there in round two so kudos to them love the pick yeah, I, I like the Eikenberg pick, and, and we've spoken about this before. It feels like the Dolphins have a lot of guys they like along their starting offensive line. It's really just experience, you know, more live reps in a couple of years that is all that stands in the way from really figuring out kind of what you have here in a, in a high-investment offensive line. Austin Jackson at left tackle, Robert Hunt at right for now. Solomon McKinley at right guard, Matt Skur at center, Michael Dieter at left guard. Now you throw in Liam Eikenberg as well. I know they added uh, DJ Fluker too. And so, they, I mean, they've got a lot of guys that are along that offensive line. And it's sometimes difficult to really appreciate the team building aspect of emphasizing offensive line when you can't streamline guys to exact positions. And so I think that that's why some people have a difficult time looking at the Dolphins offensive line and being fine with it. I, I guess I'll, that's probably the word that I'm looking for. Like there, people sometimes still just really worry about the, the Dolphins offensive line. And I don't know. I think they're pretty set. You know, I've talked to Ian Beckles. He, he used to play offensive line for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, played for them um, back in the nineties. And I used to do a podcast with him when I was down in Tampa and he'd always tell me because he knew I was big into the NFL draft and he knew that I would hype up these rookies and be like, yeah, but this guy, you know, he contribute right away, blah, blah, blah. And he would always tell me, he'd be like, Trev, rookies ain't. And then he'd say a certain four letter word that begins with S. And he, he's just like, yeah. that's how he's like, that's how I was as a rookie. It took me, you know, it, and, and that's how I know a lot of other guys, especially along the offensive line are as rookies. And, when we get players like Makai Becton 
and like Tristan Wirfs. We tend to forget about that. We we tend to think, oh, look at what these guys were able to do in their first years as rookies along the offensive line. Why can't my team's offensive linemen do that? And it really should be the other way around. We we shouldn't we shouldn't turn the lens to criticize other offensive linemen, although that does go into it a little bit. But instead, we should just absolutely be praising these guys for succeeding early on in their careers in their first years as pros. I feel like on the other side of the coin, you know, you talked about Austin Jackson struggling a little bit. Yeah, I think that he struggled a little bit, but I I don't think there should be this massive worry that he can't hold up in the NFL. You know, Robert Hunt, okay, fine. You know, he's, he's an offensive tackle. Some people think, oh, well, you know, he's not dominating a tackle. Maybe he could dominate a guard. I think you just got to let it play out with these guys. And with Liam Eikenberg, and you throw him in there, and like you said, like he might be a tackle for them. Maybe they'll get him in at offensive guard if they think that he could really help him out there. That's the feel that I get with the entire Dolphins offensive line is it's a lot of players who have a lot of versatility, and sometimes that makes it difficult to really appreciate the five that you have there. But I think in time we'll see that from the Dolphins. And I think that they're not only setting yes. themselves up to have a high ceiling as an offensive line, but also be flexible to move on from guys too if they happen to not work out. So I'm, I actually really love the way that they built the offensive line. So I agree with you. Yeah, I think, right, last year there was that push of like, hey, the Dolphins have a good offensive line. And we were all like, whoa, 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 whoa. They've made good investments in the offensive line. There's a difference. Oh, sure. Uh, this is this is a unit that once you make the good investments, you reap the benefits a year or two later, right? So I think that the Dolphins' offensive line was getting good last year. And I think right. there's a chance it'll be solid this year, especially with the addition of a guy like Eichenberg. And I think that by the end of this year, we should really see some return on, on this. But yeah, I, I very much agree. It's like, all right, we brought like, I just wrote about the Chiefs change in offensive line. All right, we traded for Orlando Brown. We signed uh, Joe Tooney to a huge contract. We have Lauren Dumonet Tardif coming back. We just drafted Creed Humphrey. We drafted Trey Smith. We brought back Mike Renners. We might put in Lucas Nyang. It's like, yeah, all these are great options. Not going to look pretty in week one. It's, it's, the, the, the continuity takes so much time. Right. Once we start getting to week 10, week 11, week 12, especially with, with vets, it's not all young guys like the Dolphins are. Mm-hmm. You expect them to be able to be gelling. But it, it even for all the talent the Chiefs have accumulated on the offensive line recently, and same thing for the Dolphins, it is a process. Best pick for me, I mean, I like the Eichenberg pick. He's one of my favorite offensive tackles in this class, so uh, you know that I really like that one. But it's got to be getting edge one in this class at number 18 in the draft. You know, for as good as it looked like Jalen Phillips' film was as as that last season went on with the Miami Hurricanes, for them to get him at 18, for whatever reason, ended up being the prevailing reason, whether it was you know off-field worries or concussion history or just overall injury history, whatever caused him to slide the most, I think that Miami jumping at that opportunity to get him there is going to be the biggest payoff for them. Because, you know, we've seen in so many years past, heck, you know, Jadavian Clowney, Miles Garrett, Mario Williams, these guys go as as edge rushers number one overall. This is a position that has the chance and has the history to be very, very highly picked. And I feel like Jalen Phillips' ceiling and what he was able to show in flashes, given his limited snaps and games and experience because of all the injuries and other things that went into the equation. But the, the flashes that he was able to show, what he was able to do with his body frame, the versatility that you could have from him with multiple fronts, I feel like that's a player that should have been picked in the top 10. You know, if the other stuff would have checked out, if you will, if you check those boxes in his background, this is a player who, if those didn't exist for him, he'd be going top 10, no doubt about it. And they get him closer to 20 than 10 at number 18, and I feel like that's just huge for them. And I also hope it's a really good spot for Jalen Phillips as well, because, you know, 
goes out to UCLA, has the unfortunate injuries, ends up transferring from UCLA, thinks about quitting football, goes back to Miami, kind of refalls in love with football, if you will, has a really solid year with the Hurricanes, I hope was getting real comfortable and just where he was and who he was in Miami, and I hope that that continues to be the case now with him uh, just as a pro, playing in the same exact stadium, just uh, with a little bit different colors and, and a different logo on his helmet. So I think that that's probably the best pick for them just because you're getting a premium position and the best one to have in this draft at number 18, and that's just pretty rare. Were you the one who told me the story about Phillips packing his stuff and leaving Miami? Yes. Yeah. 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 For everybody, I, you should tell it because I don't remember all of it. No, it's just it's 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 a short story ish, but it was, you know, this is a guy who is from the West Coast. He's from California, and so when his season was up in Miami, him and his folks packed up all his stuff from Miami, and they moved him cross country, and they drove it all the way back to I believe it was Los Angeles, and so they were in Los Angeles. That's very where he easy was, drive, very short drive. Right. To do it in a day. <laughs> right. He was in Not Los Angeles. Not the entire length of the continental United States at all. He was he was training over there, and he, I think he was with his family over there. And then all of a sudden, it's like he gets drafted by the Dolphins. And I think he said after the draft, he's like, well, time to get the same exact U-Haul out or whatever. <laughs> and just move it all back to Miami. It's rough, rough brother. <laughs> I respect it. Uh, my most improved position group for the Dolphins, I think it's a pretty clear one. Uh, they, they went into the offseason with the priority of improving wide receiver, and they did. Yeah, uh, I agree with you. Even at... At other spots where they've made investments, like you can say, oh, safety, they draft Javon Holland, and they, you know, they cut um, Bobby McCain. Like, oh, they, they draft Jalen Phillips, they cut Kyle Van Noy. It's like, you know, they're making moves, kind of just trying to to, to refresh and get a, a quick bump. At wide receiver, you return Devontae Parker, you return Preston Williams, Albert Wilson's coming back off of the COVID-19 opt-out list. Like, all that's great. Uh, and then you add Will Fuller and Jalen Waddle. So two potential starters to the group. Uh, this team desperately needed legit wide receivers, and they needed... Run after catch guys, guys who can create, guys who can separate, because that's what they need with Tua, and those are the players that they brought in. So good job improving wide receiver, exactly as expected, and deserve it. Well done. Yep, I, I agree. It was uh, wide receiver. That was, that was the main that was the main component that they wanted to hit. But, you know, the other one that I think that they were really looking at this offseason in the draft that might be the biggest draft regret, although we kind of had like a, hey, everybody calm down uh, discussion about this on the podcast, and, and I also wrote about it. Biggest draft regret might be not adding a, a real running back threat, but at the same time, it ain't that big of a deal. Like, I, like I think they're fine. I think that Dolphins fans are especially mad at the fact that they were one pick away from getting J.K. Dobbins last year. The Baltimore Ravens traded up with the Atlanta Falcons, one pick in front of where Miami was to get J.K. Dobbins, and they picked them right underneath their nose. That same exact thing happened, funny enough, also with the Atlanta Falcons. And Javante Williams goes to the Denver Broncos one pick before the Dolphins picked Javon Holland. Now, I have some source that says they might have picked Javon Holland anyways. You know, they, they really love yeah. Javon Holland. And so maybe Dolphins fans would have been mad at that no matter what. But I think Chris Greer is going about this the right way. They're building the team at the priority positions that I they, they think are going to give them the most return. And if you look at... This Dolphins team, dude, two years ago they started 0-7. You know, like this is this is not like a, a team that's on the the end of their winning window. Like they're just beginning. Their turnaround mm-hmm. as an organization has been incredibly quick and winning as many games as they did last year and just missing out on the playoffs. I mean, now they're on the cusp. Now they are beginning that winning window. Over the next two years, I guarantee 
that they will have an opportunity to to draft, to acquire, to sign, however it is, a feature kind of running back that's really going to aid their offense. And so I actually, for as much as this could be a potential draft regret, I respect Chris Greer for being patient with it, being patient with a position that he knows he's going to have the opportunity to improve year after year. Running backs are available all the time, whether it's in free agency or in the draft. And there's no sense in getting super desperate to go get one when that's not where your timeline is. And so that's where I have the biggest draft forgetting. Honestly, that's what I wrote down because I love what Miami has done. Like, I love how they navigated the draft anyways. Mm -hmm. And so that's the only one I could kind of come up with. But I could even see why I'd push back on Nate for saying that. As the, as a very big Miles Gaskin fan, uh-huh. yes. I have not tweeted about Miles Gaskin in a couple of months because I was like, all right, he's going to get replaced, and I just don't, you know, like be the Gaskin guy, and obviously they're going to improve upon him, and then they kind of really didn't. I'm like, oh, that's not tweeting about Miles Gaskin again. No problem. Here we go. Um, no, I do have I do have the running back thing as my biggest regret, and I don't have Javante Williams at, at 36 or whatever the heck it was. Uh, to me, I look at. Picks 121 and 123, uh, which were picks that the Dolphins could have and at one point did own. Uh, it was a pick they got in the Raekwon McMillan trade that they then sent away for Lynn Bowden, which, you know, I don't really know how that Lynn Bowden thing is working. Uh, 123 was the pick they sent to the Eagles as part of the uh, part of the trade that they had there for moving from 12 to 6. Uh, after those picks at 121 and at 123, you could have gotten Kenny Gainwell, who went 150. Chuba Hubbard went 126. Even like the Elijah Mitchell, 194. That's that's pretty far down the road, but whatever. Uh, you also look at 83, which is the pick that they used to take Hunter Long, which I'm fine with, but I don't, don't really move the needle for me. They were obsessed with using tight ends in the red zone last year, and like... They got Adam Shaheen in the building, and they dra- they they drafted Durham Smythe, and they kept him around, and they had Mike Kosicki, and it's like, all right, you have enough giant white tight ends. You don't need another one in Hunter Long. They go, and they make that pick, and, you know, five picks later, Trey Sermon goes. 25 picks later, Michael Carter goes. Like, those – it's those middle-round spots where it's like, mm-hmm. all right, it's time for them to throw the dart, and then they didn't. And then yeah. they don't have any of those early day three picks, which I think is your best time to take running backs. It's like round four-ish. Uh, because they've already traded them all away because of all right. the wheeling and dealing. And so I, I right. do have that as their biggest regret, just because I think you would have liked to have added a little bit earlier of a body. Then again, I also really like Jared Dokes. No matter what I'm winning in this Miami backfield, because both <laughs> players, Gaskin and Jared Dokes, I'm a pretty big fan of. That's what the that's the important thing to remember. So, all right, let's talk about the team that seems to be at the very top of the AFC East in a lot of control, and that is the Buffalo Bills. Now, their draft, I don't think, went like a lot of people believed it was going to. In the first round, they went Gregory Rousseau. Second round, they went Carlos Basham, so back-to-back pass rushers there. Third round, they went Spencer Brown, the offensive tackle from Northern Iowa. Then he jumped to the fifth round, Tommy Doyle, the offensive tackle from Miami of Ohio. Make sure to specify there. Got to give Miami of Ohio their props. Sixth round, three selections. Marquez Stevenson, the wide receiver from Houston. Uh, DeMar Hamlin, the safety out of Pittsburgh. Richard Wild Goose, what an incredible name that is. The corner from Wisconsin in the seventh round. Then with Jack Anderson, the offensive guard from Texas Tech. So when you look at this group for the Buffalo Bills, what do you think was the best pick, Ben? Uh, I would say it was Carlos Basham, the edge out of Wake. Um, we, but have the then, same, we have the same guy then, if you say that. Yeah, well, here's what happened. I have Basham ranked higher than I had Greg Rousseau ranked pre-draft. I had Basham as a guy who I thought would make sense for the Bills for a while. They draft him round two. They draft Rousseau round one. I tweet out, interesting strategy from the Bills to draft the better edge around later. It gets aggregated by a Buffalo blog. Oh, boy. I get two very angry people 
mention adding me the entire day two of the draft while well, i'm not looking right like i'm just like working right. and we, then I we were on the live show yeah 95 messages from these people just like consistently adding me asking me why i'm not responding to them about the fact that i've made a dumb tweet about how basham is better than greg rousseau so now i don't like the basham pick as much because it was inconvenient for me no it's basham uh the uh, there was actually just a story today on the athletic about how the bills were in full trade down mode at 61 and then Basham fell and they were like, wait a minute. <laughs> this is good. You love uh, it when that happens. Right. To me, for him to go 40 picks after Quiddy pay, I understand why uh, people like to talk about how the what Michigan defense asked of Quiddy limited him. I think the same thing is true of Basham at Wake Forest. People like to bring up Quiddy is a really good run defender. I agree. I don't think being a better run defender than Basham is a 40-pick difference in, in, in terms of the, the top of the draft as well. Uh, they're both high-caliber athletes at 265-plus. Basham is more experienced standing up and going on the outside, which I think is more translatable to what Buffalo does. I think he's a really good fit. Would not be surprised, as I say, if he uh, outplays Rousseau this year. Yeah, I mean, if you're getting not 2020 Carlos Basham, like if you're getting 2019 Carlos Basham, then... Getting him at 61, I think, is fantastic. I think you and I kind of talked about this before when we were going over it. It was almost, it, it was like the Rashad Bateman takeaway, although Bateman, of course, like had a lot of context to his with him getting COVID and everything that happened. And so, like, that's it. That's, you can, you can clearly see the reasons of why his 2020 wasn't as good as his 2019. People who turn on Basham's 2020, it's almost like he just, like, he just wasn't playing with the same ferociousness that he was in 2019 and so like I don't exactly know what that was maybe he was playing through injury or maybe he was just like hey I got one more year I'm going to the league it's fine because he already put out the great tape in 2019 but all that to say if they get the 2019 Basham they they're going to get a relentless versatile big body defensive end and I think that that getting that at 61 the Buffalo Bills are were right there and you know you saying that the Bills were in full trade down mode at 61 and then Basham was there that makes total sense because when they picked Gregory Rousseau, we were all like, okay, you know, yeah, like the, 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 the two starting edge players that they have right now, um, Jerry Hughes and Mario Addison, not only are they older, they're like 30, 33, 34 respectively, but they also, their contracts are both up next year. So they're under contract this year, but then they're both up next year. So you go, okay, all right. Maybe they like Greg Rousseau. They want to make sure that they have at least one edge in the building. And then they draft right. Carlos Basham, and we're kind of like, okay, did he need two? Like, did, like, did you need to go back-to-back here with 30 and 61? And so that was a little strange that that happened, but you saying that means that Basham was clearly high on their board. And when he fell, yeah. they took him because that's what they – like, that's what you do. You stay to the value of the draft board that you create. And so that makes a lot of sense there. And so Basham is is also the best pick for me. And then the most improved position group is, I, I think, edge depth. You know, we thought that edge rusher was a high-priority position for the Buffalo Bills to really target this offseason, not just because you'd like a little bit of an upgrade over Jerry Hughes and Mario Addison, potentially, but also because there's no certainty with those two guys beyond this year. Right. And there's not really anything behind them either I mean Daryl Johnson AJ Epinesa but he's been up and down with weight and so they've kind of been experimenting where they like him best Brian Cox Jr. is another player um Obata FA uh from from Carolina is also on the roster and so like they have a couple of guys who are depth but I don't know if they they really want to rely on those players to be their starters moving forward 
So they go with back-to-back edges, and, and I guess that when I look at a roster that was already really good, already very solidified, you know, right there with the Kansas City Chiefs to compete for the best in the AFC, then I suppose that edge depth and maybe even some rotational edge contribution is where right. the Buffalo Bills got best this offseason. Yeah, I was talking with a Bills fan yesterday, and I was like, was you Joe know. Marino? No, somebody you don't know. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. Anise Mokhyber is a rapper at DC. Follow Anise. Anyway. Uh, How did you get? You said you said like, oh, you don't know him. Like, like yeah, you well, because he's were just like, my buddy. You were just like big time in me there. No, he's just a friend of mine. <laughs> you would never have met for any reason. We should go listen to his what music. If, it's great. What if I did? He's. You said he's a rapper. Yeah, Anise. A N E E S. Big shout out, Anise. Big ups, Anise. Uh, I was talking with him, and I was like, they got a lot of edges, and that's kind of crazy, but why aren't they getting a corner? And he was like, well, if you can rush the passer like crazy, you don't need a corner, too. And it's like, yes, true. Also, you should have gotten a corner, too. What yeah. the fuck are we doing? That's, yeah. <laughs> like, there's the, that's there's no it's it's like the action bronze to me was like there's no need for this this <laughs> is just so, unnecessary, so necessary. <laughs> right like you have such a good depth chart you don't need to keep putting a giant red target on your second outside corner opposite Tredavious Blake which last year bringing Josh Norman Norman was kind of washed uh he and Levi Wall split t- split time now it's just Levi Wallace who was an undrafted free agent a couple years ago who has all the attitude and the the go get him ship that 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 Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott just love. But he's just ship. he's just not the the athlete you'd like to play at the NFL level to start on. So you have Dane Jackson, who they like in the building, apparently. Uh, take Rashad Wild Goose, take Demar Hamlin, but those are more so slot players, in my opinion. They're more so underneath guys. Uh, I don't, I don't think as a team you'd like to be starting Levi Wallace. So unless this is a Richard Sherman landing spot, I'm really worried about corner two. And I think the biggest regret when they look back at this draft will be, oh, we went. 13 and 3 and we made it to another AFC Championship game. But yep. we could have gone 14 and 2 and we could have won that AFC Championship game if we just freaking picked I don't know who was available at 61. Paulson Adebo. I mean Paulson Adebo, Ifatu Melafonwu, yeah. they were both available. I thought that they would be on their radars. Everybody thought it was going to be Ifatu. Well, I think he made a lot of sense for them. Yeah, he did. Yeah, that's my I mean that's my biggest regret too. Uh, I mean you got to you, you you really had to address a CB2 spot. When we did mock drafts leading up to draft weekend, it was all, hey, at number 30, you're basically picking any kind of corner two you can. That's that's the first place your eyes look in. And, you know, they went with Gregory Rousseau because they like the upside there. And then listening to what you said there, where, where they would have been interested in trading back, I feel like corner was probably well on their radar. And then just Carlos Basham was there. And sometimes you pick the guys to be true to your draft board. And all of a sudden, you, you you look back at it, you look back at the weekend, and you go, ah, we didn't get a corner two. And so yeah, you've just got to be okay with that. You've got to be okay with your decisions, and I think that Buffalo is. I mean, they've got a really strong roster, but there's no doubt about it. If we get into the playoffs and that corner two spot just starts getting picked on by all these really top-tier teams that a lot of teams got better this weekend or that draft weekend as well, you might have a little bit of regret. I'm not so sure. We'll, we'll see. It's got to play out, but I think that not getting corner two might come back to bite him. Listen up, draft fans. Nugenics is the number one selling free testosterone booster at GNC, and they're offering a free complimentary bottle to football fans all over America. Get your complimentary bottle of Nugenics Total T by texting DRAFT, D-R-A-F-T, 
to 231231. This unique man-boosting formula is powered by Testofen, which helps boost free testosterone and total testosterone levels, increasing energy and lean muscle mass. Plus, text now and they'll include a bottle of Nugenics Thermo, which is their most powerful fat incinerator ever, with key ingredients to help you get back in shape absolutely free. Text DRAFT to 231231. That's DRAFT to 231231. Message and data rates may apply. Finishing out the AFC East Draft Recap after this. All right, it's it's time to talk about the New England Patriots, a team that changed quite a bit this offseason. If we take Ben's superlative stipulations into effect, then man, we got a lot to talk about with what the New England Patriots were doing with their roster. In the first round of the NFL Draft, They ended up drafting quarterback Mac Jones, which felt like a popular pick early on. And then I think we got bored and we just tried to have some fun with the Patriots pick. We had them trading up, trading back and all that stuff. And here they are. They they land Mac Jones at 15 anyway. Second round, they went up and got Christian Barmore, defensive tackle from Alabama. Uh, Third round, Ronnie Perkins, the edge rusher out of Oklahoma. Fourth round, Ramondre Stevenson, the running back out of Oklahoma. Fifth round, they got Cameron McGrone, the linebacker from Michigan. Sixth round, two selections. Joshua Bledsoe, the safety from Missouri, and William Sherman, the offensive tackle from Colorado. And then in the seventh round, they got Trey Nixon, the wide receiver out of UCF. Ben, what was your favorite pick for the New England Patriots? Oh, I like Joshua Bledsoe coming out of Mizzou. Uh, smaller, but effective slot cover man who lined up at safety, but was probably just going to be a man cover nickel at the NFL level. Day three pick to the New England Patriots, who more than most teams just want to get man coverage bodies out in the field, be able to play man against four wide receiver sets, be able to play man on third and long. Bledsoe's going to have the ability to fight for one of those roles, right? So you have, okay, J.C. Jackson, Stephon Gilmore, Jonathan Jones, all those guys are going to be out there. But after that, uh, Joe John Williams, who has struggled to stick uh, to, to, to be what they wanted on the outside, they add Jalen Mills, who I think Bledsoe and Mills are going to fight for a similar sort of a role. They have Miles Bryant, who I talked about on yesterday's podcast. Just love Miles Bryant. Um, but he's even more vertically challenged than Joshua Bledsoe is. Uh, and so I think that Bledsoe has an opportunity to be sixth DB uh, in terms of off the bench. And that's a position that matters. That's dime sets. And that's a, that's a decent amount of your personnel. And so uh, Bledsoe is one of those picks to me where it's like, Yep, a team that's good at bringing in man cover players got a good man cover player late, and that's going to work well. I love the Cameron McGrone pick in the fifth round. I didn't think the Cameron should have been been there at that point in the draft, and for the Patriots to scoop him up, I really like that. They've got Dante Hightower coming back after opted out last year, and I love Dante Hightower. I think he's been one of the most underappreciated defensive players probably over the last five years because you know when it comes to the Patriots having so much success with that multiple defense. Hightower has been in the middle of it, and I think that he has just been paramount for their success, whether it's been winning Super Bowls or just winning double-digit games over the last couple of years, and I think they really missed him last year. They get him back now, but he's 31 years old, you know. and I don't think that Hightower is going to be playing three, four years from now. I'm trying not to doubt him too much, but you know he's just getting up there in age, and it's hard to play linebacker at that high of a level uh, once you get into your mid-30s, and so Drafted Cameron McGrone. I, I know that they have Raekwon McMillan as well. They've got Juwan Bentley. I still feel like McGrone, especially with the chance to learn behind Hightower, he gives you he gives you that kind of high ceiling profile. And I think that he's a great athlete. I think he moves super well, but he's got the size to 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 plug up holes in the middle, to not be afraid of getting his nose into the A gap and the B gap. 
stick in front of the tackles. I think he can get sideline to sideline as well. I've, I've spoken about this before. I think the feet, you like how active he is at the snap, how he's always on his toes, how he's always chopping his feet, but... He gets fooled a little bit too much when it comes to pullers behind the line of scrimmage or you, know, you think the play's going this way and it's actually flowing the other. And, and I just feel like his recognition isn't quite there. He didn't take that step up that we wanted to see this past year at Michigan, but he gives you a great baseline. He's already got good starting experience for a Mike linebacker. I think he's going to be a great off-ball addition for them over the next couple of years as he grows into a starting role. And so I really like the value that they got for him in the fifth round. What about uh, most improved position group? Right, so like tight end because of John U. Smith and, and Hunter Henry. Yeah. Which obviously they didn't make right. it they didn't make a draft pick there, right? Whatever. So like tight end, wide receiver, Kendrick Bourne, Nelson Aguilar, like they they turned over everything. And so you can make arguments about those spots. Uh if we wanted to feature a spot that actually has a draft pick, I would say stack linebackers it. You brought up Cameron McGrone. They actually they also added Rayquan McMillan via free agency and Donta Hightower is coming back off the COVID nineteen list. Uh and so that position was just a total nightmare for them last year. Uh, Jawan Bentley could not hang and bring back Kyle Van Noy, who obviously is like more so an edge or whatever. Um, but Dante Hightower, Rayquan McMillan and Cameron McGrone should be able to get better stack linebacker play than they did last season, which is important for them because it was such a bad liability. It's part of the reason why that defense just could not hang the way we expect the Belichick defense to hang. They were so thin at that spot. So retooled it and appropriately. So, yeah, I guess, I mean, I, I wanted to shout out, a defensive line as well. You know, they drafted Christian Barmore, and I, I look at the guys that they have in front of them on the depth chart, Lawrence Guy, Byron Cowart. I feel like Barmore is just a nice addition that they have in there now, but I, I think you're right. The biggest additions for the New England Patriots this year was clearly at tight end with getting Henry and with getting Johnny Smith. I mean, that was their... Those are the big players to add, but along the defensive line as well, they've got Devon Godshock, they have, they have Lawrence Guy... They've got Henry Anderson. They added Matthew Judon if you want to go out to the edges. Dietrich Wise as well. And so, like, they just spent... Oh, Kyle Van Noy. I got. I, I can't forget the uh, right. the reuniting of him getting there. So, I think just defensive line in general is probably the area that I would point to outside of tight end that they improved the most because they added so many new bodies there. You just hope that they're a lot better than they were the year before. Christian Barmore goes into that if we're bringing in the draft flavor. What about biggest draft regret? Something that they might have uh, looked back on and say, hmm, probably should have gone this direction instead. What's going to haunt them? Mac Jones? I mm? I don't even have it as Mac Jones as simply not being aggressive to go up and get Justin Fields. Right. I think that if they have I – think, I think that there's a lot of ways this Mac Jones thing can go. I wrote about how the scheme isn't a perfect fit, so they're going to have to make changes. And I had many New England fans respond to me like, yeah, but it's Will Belichick. He's going to make changes. And it's like, yeah, I agree, but changes are tricky. You know what I mean? Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. So there's 10,000 different ways this thing can go. But I think a realistic narrative path is it's 2023. Uh, or I should say really it's 2024. Cam Newton started for us for most of 2021. Mac Jones came in late. Uh, he's played for the last two seasons. We've made the playoffs once. And we, we were one and out, and then we barely missed the playoffs the last time. We did all of that spending and all of that work in the 2021 offseason just to draft a quarterback who has a ceiling below that which is afforded the new weapons. That's what I'm worried about uh, in terms of the, the, the arc here is that Mac, who I think everybody at least admits to a degree, if not fully believes as I do, 
that Mac was a product of an unbelievable system and weaponry arsenal group at Alabama. That, that, that Jones was not going to be a prospect unless he was given those opportunities to develop, those opportunities to look great, and those receivers to work with, which he's a good player, but you need that, that environment to become that. Uh, he's going to enter the league. He's going to have a less dynamic environment. He's going to have less dangerous weapons, and he's just going to be a cap on what the offense can be. He's going to be that player you win with, not that player you win because of. And that is a fine thing to be, but it's hard when that's the 15th overall pick, especially when you're considering the shoes that he has to fill as well, which we can't not consider here because it's New England, and that's what it means to be quarterback there. So to me, I I, I think that they'll end up, even if they are decently successful with Mac, looking at the rest of their roster, their coaching staff, and saying we could have been better if we went more aggressive at quarterback, like you said. Yeah, I wonder... You know, we we talk about the Dallas Cowboys panicking a little bit at number ten, and I think they did. I wonder once Dow once Denver passed on Justin Fields, what the Patriots did if they really did call up to the Dallas Cowboys, and I, I wonder what they offered. I wonder how aggressive they were because I'm thinking in my head, how did they not outbid Philly, who just wanted to move up two spots? I mean, how how was Dallas's first instinct not to do a trade with any other team that wasn't the one in their division? So in my mind, I'm wondering, man, did, did New England even call? But then I suppose on the other side of the coin, if the Patriots called the Dallas Cowboys at 10, did they really love Micah Parsons? And did they fear that Parsons wasn't going to be available at 15? Like, did they think, okay, if we make this deal with the Patriots, we get more in return, we don't have to trade our draft pick to a divisional opponent, but we're afraid Parsons won't be there. And I wonder if that was enough for them to say no. I wonder if the Patriots also called up to the Giants at 11. And I wonder what they were going to give. And likely they weren't going to give anything close to a next year's one, which Chicago had to give up to go to 20. So maybe they couldn't have outbid them anyways, but... I just wonder what happened behind the scenes. Those are always the things that I think about of, of you know, the, those deals that didn't happen, the details that we don't learn. Uh, and, and I'm very curious about that. So maybe I'll learn that one day. But I also think that settling for Mac Jones, if if they did indeed settle for Mac Jones instead of being more aggressive for Fields, that could be a regret. But maybe they did all they could do, you know, because I, I know that that's the case too. I've heard uh, behind the scenes stories, both from GMs and people who are, close to those situations where they, they just go, yeah, we try, we called. We called up to try to make this move. We offered them a good deal, and they just, you know, they got gun-shy. They didn't want to do it. And it's not just a guarantee that it happens every time. It always takes two to tango. So maybe they tried everything that they did. Maybe they just unfortunately ended up with Mac Jones. But if they didn't give it their all, I think uh, there's a chance that they might regret that. Bet online is the fast and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. Baseball season's in full swing. You track all of the action over at betonline.ag. Before the next pitch, head over to BetOnline on your laptop or mobile device and check out all of the great sporting news, sign up for bonuses, and contest information too. If you go over to their website or you can use your mobile device to sign up as well, you will receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit to the website if you use the promo code Locked On. All caps, one word locked on that's bet online your online sports book experts and then a quick memo about the best tasting protein bars on the planet it's folks over at builtbar.com guys if you have not had a built bar protein bar you gotta do it they've got so many incredible flavors fruit based chocolate based peanut butter 
all different kinds of nuts. They've got like all sorts of creative um, flavors as well. Whatever you want, I guarantee that they've got you. And the best part is they're great for your diet. Low in calories, low in sugar, and yet at the same time, high in protein, high in fiber as well. So you can eat a morning, noon, night, whether it's before a workout, after a workout, whatever it is. Go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCK15, that's LOCKED15, and you'll get 15% off your first order. One more AFC East team to talk about, Ben, it is the New York Football Jets. Nope. <laughs> Number two over, I just know that you hate that when I do that, so I just wait to see your reaction from it. Yes. Number two overall, they took Zach Willis and the quarterback out of BYU. And then at number 14, a little trade-up, took Elijah Vera Tucker, the offensive guard from USC. Second round, Elijah Moore, wide receiver from Ole Miss, and then you got to pop down to the fourth round where they took Michael Carter, the running back from North Carolina. Fifth round, they had three selections. Jamie Sherwood, the safety out of Auburn. Michael Carter, again, not the running back that they accidentally Signed in the card twice. This is the safety out of Duke. And then Jason Pinnock, this, the cornerback out of Pittsburgh. Sixth round, they also had another three selections. Hobson and Serial Dean, the safety out of Florida State. Brandon Eccles, the corner out of Kentucky. And then Jonathan Marshall, the defensive tackle from Arkansas. Mm-hmm. Then when you talk about best pick for the New York Jets, I have a feeling we're going to have the same guy here. Who's your pick? I can guarantee you we're not. You have Elijah Moore. No, you have Hobson Asieldine. Correct. Yeah, I have Michael Carter, the UNC running back, not Michael Carter, the Duke corner. Uh, which, the Hobson Asieldine pick is really, really good, but I think that the Carter pick is awesome. I think it's it's the right way to go about this, which is that the Jets clearly did need a running back. They needed help pretty badly. LaMichael P. Ryan, Tevin Coleman, Ty Johnson was the rest of the depth chart, so clearly you don't have a player that you like as a bell cow guy there. Carter was part of a rotation at UNC, so I don't think he's going to be a bell cow player either, but he's a clear 1B. Uh, he's got NFL frame. He's got receiving ability proven at the college level, so he's a guy you expect to stick no matter what you do at running back in the future. And so let's say Tevin Coleman stays healthy and Michael Piran looks good, and you're like, ah, right, we're going to stick with these guys. Carter's going to have a role. Let's say everybody's bad, and you're like, we need a first-round running back, and you draft Isaiah Spiller in the first round next year. Carter's still going to have a role. Uh, because the receiving ability he brings, he can be able to play on third down for you. So it's a very safe pick in that way. And then the ceiling is high because he was a zone runner at UNC. He did get a ton of carries, even though he was never he was only a bell cow, really like his earlier seasons in terms of, of the, the rotation that they were in. Once Javante Williams started to come onto the scene, obviously he kind of got uh, at least 50%, if not more, of the carries. But Carter's actually accrued a lot of carries over four years, and so he does have NFL caliber feel, NFL caliber vision, in my opinion. He was the better zone runner. He's got the better footwork. And so I wouldn't be surprised if, even though he's not the speediest dude in the face of the planet, he doesn't have the home run speed, he does have games in which he is the primary ball carrier, in which he does have more carries than anybody else for the Jets. And so they needed to fill this role, but it was a bad roster altogether so it was more important that they secured elijah very talking more important that they secured elijah moore and made those picks getting carter in round four is good value for approaching running back which was a position of need and it's a good scheme fit as well so i like the selection a lot i liked the hobson to serial dean pick when it happened initially because i believed that marcus may could play more of a free safety role and that Hobson is here, Lee could develop into a strong safety, kind of creep down towards the front seven. You play in that short zone overneath the, over the middle. Also had the size to go up against 
all sorts of athletic tight ends and wide receivers that are coming up to see him up the middle of the field. So I liked it from that regard. And then I saw that the Jets officially listed Hobson Serial Dean as a linebacker. Did you see this? Yes, and they did it with Jamie and Sherwood as well. They're both right. listed on their linebacker depth chart, which I love. And also, I didn't realize they took Sherwood. That's another great pick. It's a very similar mold. Right, right. So it's a little bit different, but now you have the same thing. Almost this kind of speed coverage linebacker that you get to throw in there, hopefully next to C.J. Mosley, who's going to play well. Hopefully next to Gerard Davis, who's hopefully going to play well. I mean... I'm, you know, I'm hoping for a lot there, maybe. But they have, you know, they have Ashton Davis. They have Marcus May. They have LaMarcus Joyner. So when they drafted Thompson and Cyril Dean, a lot of people pointed to that and said, they've already got a crowded safety room. What are they doing? And I was like, well, Thompson and Cyril Dean could still find a starting role, even amongst the guys that I named. But now that he's more streamlined as a, as a coverage linebacker, that could be even better for them. So... I think it's a fantastic pick no matter how you look at it. I just think he's a really good defense player. He's a very versatile piece, and for them to get him as late as they did in the in the draft, I mean, that's it's crazy to me that he was available where he was. I had the—is that your biggest position of improvement was linebacker, was linebacker slash safety slash whatever that is? No, uh, although, okay. I mean, I think they did well there. That's, that's not my, mm-hmm. my overall most improved. Honestly— I just have the entire offense down here for what the Cheating. Jets the, 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 the Jets were able to do and how they were able to improve. I need I mean, a soundboard that has like a, a ref whistle sound on it. So whenever you do things that are just objectively against the rules, I'm just like, Boop, red card. I mean, when you look at their Flag additions, the they added Elijah Moore. They added Keelan Cole. They added Corey Davis. I think if I had to pick one, I'd probably be picking pass catcher. I'd just be picking wide receiver because I think that that's where they improved the most. They have Jamison Crowder. They have Denzel Mims already there, but... I also didn't want to ignore the fact that they brought in Elijah Vera Tucker. They clearly emphasized that as well. They brought in Michael Carter, who I would have talked about if you did not talk about it at the top of this. And so it's hard for me to not look at this entire team basically and say, I have a different outlook on what the New York Jets can be, especially on the offensive side of the ball. And so that's why it's kind of a hat tip to everything that they've been able to do on offense. They also had a lot of great defensive players. And so it's hard not to just look at what the Jets did overall the, the through the course of this offseason and, and, point to something where you didn't like what they did. And I think offense is probably where it shines the most just because the Jets have been so inept at offense for so long. So yeah, I went with offense, but if you had to make me pick one, I'd probably pick wide receiver. Yeah, I wide receiver is my spot as well. Corey Davis and Elijah Moore. Uh, the ability to move on from Jamison Crowder, who's like a fine player, indicates the strength of that depth chart now. They had Keelan Cole as well in free agency. I'd be remiss to uh, ignore him in terms of the, the ramifications of Crowder moving on from him. Yeah, the wide receiver is the spot that got the be- uh, got better. If you look at where this depth chart was just two, just before last year's draft, right, before they drafted Denzel Mims, it, it's significant, the turnover that they've got here. And it's indicative of an acknowledgement as to how bad uh, this this roster had fallen out uh, during the Adam Gase era. And so they've turned over a wide receiver pretty quickly and good on them for doing so. Any final thoughts on the AFC East before we wrap it up? Or did you get it all out there? Did you lay it all on the table? Put it all on the line? Why does this entire division, not this entire division, uh, the Jets and the the freaking uh, Bills need to draft corners? Oh, yeah. yeah. No, I forgot. Uh, biggest draft regret for the Jets was draft corner. same thing. Yeah, it was it was draft the corner. I hey, forgot corner, that. Dude. Yeah. 
clearly they don't think that that pass coverage is more important than pass rush. Yeah. I I also look at Stephon Diggs and Emmanuel Sanders and Cole Beasley and Gabriel Davis and think to myself, I don't need a corner. No, why would you? No, imagine Will Fuller and Devontae Parker and Jalen Waddle. We'll be fine. Corner? Premium position? Nah, don't need it. And we need Couldn't to, be me. For the birds. All right, there we go. That's the, that's the AFC East divisional draft recap. We've got the NFC East coming up tomorrow. So, Talk about the Cowboys, the Washington football team, the New York Giants trading back. And then, of course, Ben's going to rant about the Philadelphia Eagles. Until then, you guys keep it locked right here on Lockdown NFL Draft.